Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. This is the Tampa Bay Rays episode of our team-by-team check-in series, which will run all the way up until opening day of the 2017 Major League season. My co-host DJ Short and I are interviewing beat writers from around the country to get an inside scoop on roster makeup and other topics that might give Roto World readers and listeners an edge in their fantasy leagues, or at least you know, get you caught up on where teams stand leading into 2017, um, changes that have been made, guys to look out for. Uh, you can find all the episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, Google Play, and of course the Roto World website. We're covering all 30 teams. Um, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate and review us on whatever platform you use. That really is a big help. In this episode, um, I talk with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times who to me is one of the best beat writers in the country. And uh, DJ and I follow all the beat writers, so I think uh, we speak from some experience on that. Uh, enjoy. Thanks for joining the podcast, Mark. Um, so so the Rays finished with just 68 wins in 2016, their lowest win total since 2007. That put them 25 games back of the AL East champion Red Sox at the end of the regular season. But their run differential wasn't in, like, Twins or A's or Phillies territory. And looking at this roster, I feel like it's a team that could be a surprise contender in 2017 if, if some things turn around, uh, especially if they add another bat like a Chris Carter or a Matt Wieters um, who are still free agents. Uh, l- let me start off by asking you some questions about the current roster. Um, Tampa Bay seemed to dangle closer Alex Colomay all offseason. There were early reports of interest from the Nationals, who I think would still like to add a late-inning arm. Uh, do you think the Rays will continue to dangle Colomay into the spring and then the summer? And then as a kind of follow-up, um, even if Colomay isn't traded, who's next in line for saves in that bullpen? Well, yeah, you know, I, I might quibble, Drew, a little bit with the word dangle because I think, you know, the Rays' philosophy, at least, you know, as we've kind of come to know it over mm-hmm. the years, is, has been, you know, to, to be open-minded, to be opportunistic. So, you know, I think they, they kind of, you know, passively, aggressively let it be known that they're willing to talk about just about every player. Uh, they tend, you know, historically to, you know, sell high when they can. And, and you know, depending on how confident you are in Alex Colomay repeating what he did, he might be a pretty good sell-high candidate. So I, I think they will listen. I think they did listen throughout the winter, but I do think that their thought process is, you know, given where he is contractually and control-wise, it would take an enormous package. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, tends to how they do a lot of these deals. They start really high and, and work their way down. So I, I do think they'd be open to discussing it. I don't think, and I'd be surprised given, you know, they're, they're continuing to publicly say, even after trading Forsyth, 
you know, they feel like they can put a team out there that can contend. And if they did trade column A, you know, looking at it right now, I mean, realistically, you know, they would be hoping Sean Tollison, who they signed, who had 35 saves for the Rangers in 2015, hoping he can bounce back and get into form. I mean, he'd certainly be a candidate for that. You know, Xavier Cedeno is their most experienced lefty. He seems more suited for kind of that middle, you know, middle seventh, eighth inning kind of role. I don't, I don't know that he would be the guy. And you know, one guy to keep an eye on for the future, I don't think he'll be wrecking up a lot of saves this year, but they really think has a potential is Ryan Stanek, their number one pick from a couple of years ago. They've converted him to bullpen. You know, he'll be in camp. He'll get a look there. And, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if at some point he's up and, and starting to pitch in a little bit later innings. I'll ask a similar question of starting pitcher Chris Archer. Uh, teams like the Dodgers, Astros, and Braves were connected to him this winter. Uh, do you think Archer's going anywhere in 2017, or did trading Drew Smiley to the Mariners kind of extend Archer's stay? Or, or are those even connected at all? Yeah, I, I don't know that they're connected in the sense that if the Rays you know, feel like they're in a position to trade somebody, they're typically going to do it. I mean, you could make the case that you know, they still traded two starting pitchers this offseason, Matt Moore on August 1st and, and Drew Smiley, you know, when they did. But really, you know, two veteran guys traded out of the rotation, mostly through the after last season. So I, I don't think they're necessarily connected. I do think, you know, similar to Colome, as you said, a similar question, I have a similar answer. I think, you know, again, their ask would be really high. Archer's contract is very team friendly. It's like five years of control for like $32, $35 million, something like that. That's yeah. a remarkable bargain. But there is a little bit of a gamble here. I mean, the Chris Archer coming off of 2015 where you would say they'd never trade him. And then, you know, we, we put him on the cover of the Tampa Bay Times special section, the new face of baseball. We thought this guy, you know, all-star season, incredible personality, good hearted, you know, public image. It was really going to take off. And you know, he had a bad year last year and, and I've heard it broken down and the Rays have obviously a lot of smart people. And, and I've had it explained to me that, you know, they've isolated five pitches that made the difference in his season that, you know, five pitches that obviously became home runs and, you know, that inflation of his ERA, that, that reversal of his one loss record, that effect on you know, some of his other stats, you know, could have arguably made a difference in, in both the obvious and, you know, under the hood stats. So I, I think their gambling is that Chris Archer, you know, he could pitch similarly to how he has the last two years and have much more of a statistical reflection similar to 2015 than 16. So I think they're, they're banking on him pitching better. But I just don't think a team's going to give them the value that they see, of course, in a incredibly good Chris Archer for those contractual terms. Right. He's still a very popular fantasy guy because of the strikeouts, obviously. And I, I would expect some better luck for him this year. Um, let's move on to uh, the Rays signed Wilson Ramos to a two-year $12.5 million contract in early December. Um, he's a guy who might have challenged for 80 to $100 million this winter as a 29-year-old free agent catcher had he not suffered ACL and meniscus tears in his right knee on September 26th at Nationals Park. Um, do you have any information on how his rehab is coming along, uh, what the target date might be for his raised debut, and kind of what the plan is for him on what looks to be a bargain buy low type of deal to me? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for the Rays, if, if this works out, and obviously that is a huge if, but if this works out, if he gets back, contributes this year, and is fully recovered and, and has a Wilson Ramos type of 2018, this could turn out to be a, a really a brilliant move and a very you know, cost-efficient move by the Rays because they're going to pay him less for two years, as you alluded to, than he would have gotten on any type of annual basis on a much longer term. So the plan, and I haven't talked to him in the last few weeks, but he was available uh, earlier in the offseason season. And uh, obviously he said, you know, the rehab's going well, but he was talking about a, a May return 
sometime in May, you know, at least hitting at the big league level. And I think that's what you'll see. I think the plan, the way I've heard it, and again, it's all subject to change and how he does, but you know, they're going to get him through the minor leagues. They're going to rehab him. They're going to have him catch the minor leagues. But, you know, they also realize that he'll be available to hit sooner than he'll be available to catch. So it's going to be a little tricky. But I think the idea would be to get his bat back in the lineup maybe as soon as May. You know, whether that's May, you know, 1st, 10th, or 30th. And, and then let him ease himself into catching. Now, how does he do that? Does he have to go back to another minor league rehab stint and, and catch his way to where he gets, you know, build up four, six, eight innings like you see in spring training? Or does he just do that at the big league level? But I, I think, you know, until – July or August, he will not be catching certainly on like a you know regular basis, back-to-back games or anything like that. So it'll be tricky. The Rays might end up having to carry three catchers, you know, in that later part of the season once he gets back. And you know, you alluded to this, we speculated is Matt Weeder's a possibility for them, and you know that would almost give them like a hybrid combination there, two guys who could almost alternate catcher DH type of thing. Right, and uh, maybe Weeders will accept a one-year deal at this point, um, and then. He- Ramos kind of takes over as the regular catcher in 2018, enters the free agent market as a 31-year-old catcher and can still kind of hit it big. Um, Let's move on to Alex Cobb, who finally returned from Tommy John surgery last September and went on to allow 22 runs, uh, 21 earned in 22 innings, covering just five starts. It's not what the Rays probably wanted to see from a guy who's basically missed the last two years. Um, is there reason for optimism with Cobb that you see? He was a high-round fantasy draft pick leading into the 2014 season and really seemed to be nearing ace status before the elbow blew up on him. Yeah, I, I think you're right in that, and I think he was nearing that. I mean, the only the only asterisk I'll put out there is he's never really pitched through a full season, I and mean, there's been an injury that's cut short every season at the big league level. And, and you know, one was when he was hit in the head by a line drive, absolutely nothing to do with his own health. One was and needing the thoracic out with surgery, which is congenital, not, you know, anything that also he did to his arm or anything, but he has had an injury each year. Um, I, I think you can see a little better in those 2016 stats than they look. I mean, watching him pitch, he had a good game. He had an okay game. He had a tremendous game in Toronto. That was the kind of the signature moment. He walked off that mound in Toronto. And I think at that point, you know, he felt, and the Rays felt, this guy's back. He's going to be that good again. Mm-hmm. And then I think he just ran out of gas, and he finished poorly. He probably shouldn't have even made the last start he made. It just was not a good effort. It wasn't a good look. So I think the Rays are confident. He's confident. And if you want to read, read tea leaves a little bit, there was some interest in Alex Cobb this offseason from some other teams. And I would have been surprised if the Rays traded him because the value will be much higher later in the year. But if they didn't have confidence he was going to pitch well, I think they would have dealt him this offseason. Yeah. A guy I'm trying to buy a lot of shares of this spring in fantasy leagues is left-handed starter Blake Snell, who entered the 2016 season as one of the top prospects in baseball and went on to register a 3.54 ERA and 98 strikeouts over his first 89 major league innings. But the walks were brutal, um, 51 of them in 89 innings, and he finished with an ugly 1.62 whip. Um, is there reason to believe he's going to improve his command uh, in what will be his sophomore season? Snell was always a high walks guy in the minors, but he looked to be making some strides in that department as he moved up the ranks of the Rays' farm system. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and, and some of this is more anecdotal, and, and I know, you know from a fantasy standpoint, sometimes you're sticking more into the hard numbers, but talking to him and, and you know, just kind of mm-hmm. hearing him explain himself, I, I think what happened is he stopped challenging guys at times last year. 
you know, they can all talk a good game and, you know, yeah, I grew up watching this guy. I grew up going to games in his case in Seattle. I did this, I did that. But once I'm out the mat, it's no big deal. But I, I think, you know, he did admit a couple of times, Blake Snell did, where, you know, he was maybe giving, not necessarily in awe, but giving too much credit to a hitter. In other words, he wasn't being as aggressive as he should be. Thus, he was falling behind. Thus, as you say, the walk ratio was terrible and, and things like that. So I, I think the physical stuff is there. But I think for Blake Snell, it's going to be a mental adjustment in year two as much as anything. Yeah. Um, Brad Miller, as, as somebody who watched him on a daily basis last year, reference, speaking of you, um, how real was that power output? I mean, we suddenly got 30 home runs and 81 RBIs from a guy who had never hit more than a dozen home runs in a season leading into 2016. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't even done this in the minor leagues. Which, right, you know, yeah. That always amazed me. That's just one of those quirks of baseball. When a guy does something at the big league level, he didn't even do at the minor league level. You know, part of that was a physical adjustment. He went to a little bit of a Josh Donaldson-style leg kick, and, and I think it really allowed him to cut loose on the power, and I think he became a little more selective. And, and you know, whereas Brad Miller in the past might try to take some pitches, you know, the other way and hit some pitches that he shouldn't hit, I think he had some pretty good plate discipline in that when he saw the pitch he could unload on, he did exactly that. And he had a few warning track balls that were caught, too. So, you know, that 30 in a different ballpark, Tropicana Field, not obviously being a power-friendly ballpark, right. you know, he might have even done a little better. Now, do I think he's going to do that again? I'm not so sure of that. I mean, he, you know, there was part of there was, there was a little bit of playing with an edge last year. He got moved from shortstop to first base. He didn't like that. You know, do I think that's why he hit so many home runs? Not at all. But I do think, you know, there was a certain intensity that he took with him every day. Some guys play better angry. And maybe Brad Miller's that type of guy. I'd be curious to see. He may get moved again. There's a chance, and, and from a fantasy standpoint, I'm sure this will really cloud things, but he may get moved to second base yeah. and uh, play play a lot of his time there. So he, he could be eligible at a number of different positions. Yeah. Um, so I'd be curious to see if that power is sustainable and if teams start pitching him differently, too. I mean, he wasn't a guy that a lot of teams would have really worried about in their game planning pregame. And suddenly by the end of the year, he was one of the forces in that lineup. Yeah. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer, kind of in a similar vein, broke into the league as a defensive wizard in the outfield with poor offensive counting stats, then tallied 12 homers and 21 stolen bases over just 366 at-bats last year while fighting through some injuries. Um, you think he could keep that kind of pace over a full-season slate? That would essentially make him a 20-homer, 30-steals type of guy, which is obviously hugely valuable in fantasy and then real life combined with the defense. I mean, he's an all-star if he, if he does that. And I, and I think he can, and, mm -hmm. and I actually think he will. I think Kevin Kiermeyer, um, even with the two gold gloves is, is a very, very motivated player and establishing himself offensively is a key part of that. I mean, the injury last year obviously kept him off the field for about two months and, you know, when he got back and he kind of adapted a little bit of a less is more approach at the plate and it seemed to you know, be conducive to more power. Again, not necessarily statistically justifiable, but but yet, you know, proven anecdotally. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think you're going to see a very motivated Kevin Kimmer. I know he got paid this year a little bit that first year. He's super two arbitration eligibility. You know, he, he bumped up in salary quite a bit. But, you know, he plays with a, a tremendous uh, grudge in a way of where he was drafted, how overlooked he was. The Rays gave him the opportunity, and even then he was considered just this defensive specialist. And as you say, exactly, he's now blossomed into this guy who is arguably an incredible offensive force. The combination, you know, you always say in baseball, the combination of speed and power is one of the rarest things, and he obviously has the speed. I think he's becoming a little bit more of a smarter and more daring base runner so he can steal more bases. And if the power comes too, what a tremendous triple threat. 
We'll close with uh, a question about the farm system. The Rays always kind of have to operate with young, cost-controlled talent, given their budgeta- budgetary constraints. And I'm assuming we'll see the ri- arrival of some some decent youngsters this year, like we seem to see every year. Um, is there a relatively unknown player in that farm system who you think could em- emerge to make a meaningful impact in 2017? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, I'm not, I guess yeah. for me, it's harder to know who's unknown nationally. It's kind of a weird answer. But you know, there's obviously been a lot of attention on Willie Adamas, who they got from mm-hmm. the Tigers in the David Price trade, and he'll be at AAA this year, and, and they you know, view him as a franchise type of player. I don't think he's a factor this season unless there's an injury or, or something happens with Matt Duffy playing short. Uh, but a guy who, when they got him, maybe didn't quite get as much attention, but was part of the Ben Zobers deal to Oakland is Daniel Robertson. And I think he's a guy who will at some point play in the big leagues this year. And if he does well, given that opportunity, he might stick around. I mean, he, he may not break camp at the big league team. He may be like kind of that next infielder called up, but depending, you know, you said you've got Brad Miller, maybe moving to second. You've got Duffy coming off surgery, moving back to short, you know, Franklin and Beckham look to be the middle infielders on the bench with some versatility there. But Danny Roberts is a guy who very quietly is kind of merged into that type of player where he can play second, he can play third, he can play short. He's got a good bat. He's a hustler. He's got a good head about him, a good sense of the game. So he might be a guy you could see. And, and then we previously mentioned Ryan Stanek as well. Mm-hmm. Jamie Schultz is obviously another guy from the bullpen side. Thanks so much, Mark. We'll have multiple episodes per week during this team check-in series. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Audio Boom, Google Play, whatever platform you use. Um, you can also find all these episodes on the Road to World website. Um, we post them usually within a few hours of, of recording. Um, follow me on Twitter at Drew Silve. That's D-R-E-W-S-I-L-V. You can follow Mark Topkin at TV Times underscore Rays. Thanks again for listening to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.